Welcome to the Richard Roper Podcast. I am Richard Roper. Spoiler alert! There's your first spoiler alert right there. We're going to talk a little bit about spoiler alerts on this edition of the Richard Roper Show. Uh, specifically, I sometimes, you know, as you guys know, I like to pull the curtain back and talk about some of the behind-the-scenes stuff, part of my job, if you will. And part of it now, especially in recent years, is various studios and streaming services who are very, very sensitive about spoiler alerts. And we're going to talk about all of that. Uh, what I think about that, the best part about that, and uh, also when people on social media engage in lots of spoilers, as they've done over the last week to 10 days because we've had so many series finales and then big movies coming out and people love to give stuff away even though they shouldn't do that. You know, keep it to yourself. We'll talk about that. Uh, also, in the last podcast, I, I talked about how uh, we were going to get into some of the best series finales of the last 20 plus years. We're going to do that as well. All of that right here on the Richard Roper podcast. But first, here's your reminder. The Richard Roper show is brought to you by American Eagle.com studios. The digital landscape is changing rapidly and to compete in today's online business environment. You need an experienced partner. Since 1995, AmericanEagle.com has partnered with companies of all sizes, offering web design, web development, e-commerce, mobile apps, and digital marketing to drive your overall business's success because they believe that today's online world is your online opportunity. Visit AmericanEagle.com today. Okay, so uh, we're about a little more than a week uh, out from the series finale of Succession, and we're continuing to see uh, episode wrap-ups and some folks loving it and some folks hating it, which happens uh, with the finales of any series ever. I wanted to talk a little bit about numbers and ratings, which are kind of tricky in the year 2023. It used to be pretty simple and easy to find out the Nielsen uh, ratings for TV, and there was a thing called Arbitron for radio, but it's very different now, and it's, of course, the market is much more splintered, but I want to read to you from uh, a piece in IndieWire from Tony Maglio. The series finale of Succession set a new viewership record for itself on Sunday. Despite the Memorial Day holiday and a particularly long running time of 88 minutes, but the record for a Succession show, one single airing, is just under 3 million. 2.928 million tuned in to see it live, if you will, to watch the succession finale uh, a, week, a week ago Sunday. Uh, now that's 68% or than uh, 68% better than the final season three episode, and uh, is quite good. Uh, but it's nowhere near even shows like The Last of Us uh, on HBO, which would get twice as much as that for a typical episode. We mentioned this on the last podcast. Uh, there was something about succession. There are certain shows that uh, get an inordinate amount of attention on social media and just from the mainstream media. And I think in the case of succession, uh, a lot of it has to do with the fact that, of course, it was about a media company and the media is interested in the media. And it, it was a hot button show. But, it, you know, it's a lot of folks out there who, who never tuned into succession. The thing you have to remember now, of course, is it's not so easy to always keep track of who watches it when, how many people recorded Succession, how many people will watch it on the stream. They, they've got a, you know, an offer right now on HBO saying, hey, sign up and you can, you know, catch up on all four seasons if you haven't watched it. So yes, 3 million people watched it. And again, that's 3 million homes or TV sets that were tuned into HBO. If you're watching it with four people, that's something that the ratings uh, 
industry has always kind of had a hard time calculating and incorporating into the ratings. I, I guarantee you the number, when all is said and done, well over 10 million people will have watched the final episode of Succession. But that may take months, you know, for that to accumulate. Now, times have changed, folks, as I mentioned. Uh, you go to Game of Thrones, which is not that long ago, uh, but Game of Thrones on HBO, uh, by the time it made it to its final seasons, the last few seasons, 10 to 12 million people were watching it every Sunday night. Four times the number of people who were watching uh, Succession for the series finale. And then if you go back to the early to mid-2000s and The Sopranos, that was a very, very different landscape. You had CBS and NBC and ABC and Fox and your local uh, channels, and then you had your HBO, your Showtime, Cinemax, a few other offerings. There's maybe one ESPN probably at the time. So definitely less competition, but still the numbers were, were huge. Sopranos would average anywhere from 10 to 14 million viewers in its prime. So the one thing, too, though, to, to remember is certain series uh, do get better live numbers. When I say live, I'm saying people watching them in real time because people don't want the spoilers to get in the way. So there, there are some shows... Even Ted Lasso, which was a comedy and drama, you you know it was a there were twenty character arcs, so you you wanted to watch that if you could in in real time, so things didn't get spoiled. There are other shows that it's not that important if they're sitcoms or just sort of episodic uh, dramas. It doesn't matter that much for you to see it. But event shows, whether it's Better Call Saul or Breaking Bad, even something like How I Met Your Mother, people want to watch that in real time because they don't want to get it spoiled. So I want to talk a little bit about the way ratings are calculated too. Netflix is interesting. First of all, they don't have to really report things. And sometimes some of the streaming services are very cryptic and kind of withholding about that. Netflix is, has in recent years been more straightforward and forthcoming about it. So what they do is they'll send a list to the media and they'll release it basically to the public talking about the top 10 ratings just on Netflix. Now they won't say, Hey, our show that was number one on Netflix was not the most watched show because they, they might not know how it did against Yellow Jackets on Showtime or something on Peacock or whatever. But the way they do it, kind of interesting, is the number of hours viewed. Uh, now, now, of course, there's always a premiere moment for any show or series. It'll be, you know, it'll drop at, let's say, 8 p.m. Central Time on a Friday. But in the case of Netflix, a lot of times they drop all the episodes at once. So people start binge watching. So, for example, this is going back just a couple of weeks. Uh, the, the the latest available figures I have for you guys. Uh, the week of May 22nd to May 28th. FUBAR, which is uh, the Arnold Schwarzenegger streaming limited dramatic series, which I told you guys was terrible, but I'm not surprised to see it, it did very well because it's Arnold doing action comedy. FUBAR was the number one spot on the English TV list with 88.94 million hours. So 89 million hours. Let's just round the fucker up. Jeez. So 89 million hours. That made it the most viewed title this week. So you think, okay, 89 million hours. Now you got to start doing the math because if people watch the entire series, then you're dividing it by maybe six hours. Did they just watch the, the premiere episode? And again, how many people were watching? So you're calculating and you're saying, well, they're saying the series got about 12 million views. That's the uh, that's uh, the 89 million divided by the seven total running time hours, seven hours total running time for the show. I know we're getting deep into the weeds here, but essentially that'd be the same as a movie opening maybe for $100 million. I mean, doing very well. 
Uh, Jennifer Lopez is the mother. Keeps going. It has 35 million hours viewed. It has more than 200 total, 212 million total hours. So that's a lot. But when you get into these millions of, as I've just demonstrated to you, it's confusing and confounding as fuck. And I think, you know, you can see that these things are doing well. When we get into tens and hundreds of millions of viewing hours, and then we get into global stuff, let's put it this way. Netflix is aware of how many people are watching. We're sort of aware. And, you know, there's a lot of hue and cry. And I I used to love the hue and cry morning team in the mid-90s. Hue and cry in the mornings. Uh, There's a lot of hue and cry when series are canceled. People are like, I love that show. Trust me, whether it's traditional broadcast television with a sitcom or a drama or one of the old school cable stalwarts, premium cable stalwarts like HBO or Showtime or something, you know, relatively new like Prime Video or Apple TV Plus, they're aware of how well these shows are doing. There's a lot of market research that goes beyond just uh, number of viewers on a particular night or millions of hours of viewing. They know how a show is doing. Also, a lot of these shows, Mindhunters is a classic example. They did very well with a kind of niche audience, but they were very expensive. And if a show is going, you know, a lot of these series now, when we talk about a, a Game of Thrones and, and things like that, each episode is in the multiple of millions of dollars. They're like making a movie, more, like a 50-minute a movie more than just a, a television show. So it's the cost effectiveness, uh, the fact that even though a lot of these streaming giants, you know, are worth billions of dollars, it's tough to keep viewers, especially in tough times. People start, you know, scaling back on some of their subscriptions. Now we've got a strike looming. So the ratings are a lot more ethereal than they used to be. You used to be able to look at, uh, you know, the TV listings and you'd see the Nielsen ratings and you would know the Cheers is the number one show or, or uh, Seinfeld was the number one show, undisputed, and, and the numbers, of course, the millions were way, way bigger than now. Uh, but there are buzz shows and there are hit shows, and they're sometimes not the same. In the case of Succession, more of a buzz than a huge hit. I think Ted Lasso was a bigger hit in terms of mainstream appeal. But you're always going to have stuff like Fubar and The Mother. And, you know, I love Arnold and I love uh, J-Lo, but the mother's a feature-length film and it's terrible. And Fubar's a seven-hour series and it's even worse. But a lot of that stuff also has to deal with the fact that it's comfort viewing, that it's big stars. I don't want to say you hate watch Fubar because it's not offensive. It's maybe a little cynical and it's certainly dumb, but I could see people watching it and just laughing and going, oh, this is so stupid. Let's watch another episode. I want to talk a little bit about um, spoiler alerts, too. So when I'm reviewing these uh, series and certainly films, and I've been doing it, obviously, for a, for a very long time, I've always been cognizant. Before I ever heard the term spoiler or spoiler alert, I was always cognizant of not giving away too much about a particular film or TV series going back uh, to the 90s, which is kind of the heyday of the twist ending with movies like The Usual Suspects, Sixth Sense, uh, Fight Club, uh, Seven, two Brad Pitt movies I mentioned there, uh, The Crying Game a little bit before that. There were a lot of films, and there, there continue to be, but especially that was almost a golden age for well, and all the films I mentioned, by the way, brilliantly crafted, uh, great writing, and there were twists either at the end or, or pretty deep into the film. And, you know, reviewers, if you go back and read the reviews, almost everybody was very, very careful not to reveal that, you know, I, what I see dead people means or who was Kaiser Soze, whatever the, you know, the rules of Fight Club. Now, 
you know, 30 years past the fact when I write or talk about these films and I will talk about the endings and if people get mad at me, I'm like, look, you had half your life to watch these films. Now we're in a different age, though, because back in the day when I was doing movie reviews, when I was doing Ebert and Roper with the late, great Roger Ebert, that was basically the only national review show of movies. There were lots of local critics doing stuff. And then on shows like the Today Show and Good Morning America, you'd have critics coming on and doing quick, you know, three minute reviews of films. But that's how people got their information. And of course, from their local newspaper uh, about movies. So it was pretty easy, fairly easy for the studios to to make sure that the average viewer, that 99% of the average viewers going into movies did not know what the ending was about. Now we're in a very different age, obviously, the age of the internet and social media and Twitter and TikTok and Instagram and everything else and advanced screenings. And, and again, they always tell critics and ask critics to please refrain from giving away too much. And the viewers who might, you know, as we've talked about in the past, have a chance to see a movie in advance. Please don't spoil this or that. Now, sometimes I have to say, when I get the letter from various uh, studios and streaming services and the links to episodes, because obviously you have to watch them in advance so I can review them for you guys. Sometimes it's, you know, 10 episodes of a series. They often now send specific spoilers they don't want you to reveal. And I get it. I'm not offended by it. I, I think, honestly, there are so many critics out there, and I welcome everyone into the mix. But there are a lot of young people who might actually benefit from this guidance. You know, in some cases, I'm like, well, no shit. I'm not going to give that away. Uh, but sometimes they're asking me to, to, to withhold so much. I'm like, well, how am I going to do the review? Now, there's a, there's a series coming out on Peacock called Based on a True Story. Uh, Kaylee Cuoco and Chris Messina star in it. And it's basically a, a parody of all the uh, crime dramas we've seen over the last 10 or 15 years that are based on true stories. This one is completely fictional, but it's about this couple and they're kind of struggling financially and they find out they know who a serial killer is. And uh, rather than turn him into the police, spoiler alert, they actually blackmail him into doing a podcast with them. That's the setup, okay? And that that much I can tell you guys. Now, the, the letter from Peacock also said, please refrain, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bleep out myself here. I'm going to redact, like when you see those uh, documents and people, you know, rub, up, rub out the uh, certain, uh, and black out certain things. Uh, please don't reveal that is the serial killer. Also, please don't reveal fate. Definitely please don't talk about death at a certain event. Also, the double crossing of and the revenge on fate of and the relationship between and now, sorry to be so cryptic there. That's a lot to withhold. And I think in this case, there's enough for me to write about I'm not going to have any problem adhering to this. I do. Listen, I believe in embargoes when they ask you to hold a review to a specific date and time. And I review, I, I believe in, uh, you know, adhering to not giving away too much. But there's a certain point where you're like, well, you know, what am I going to say? There's a, there's a series called The Crowded Room coming out on uh, Apple TV Plus very soon. Uh, a prestigious uh, project uh, starring Tom Holland. Amanda Seyfried, Emmy Rossum, among others. Uh, the showrunner is Akiva Goldsman, who won the Academy Award for his screenplay of A Beautiful Mind. And The Crowded Room is about someone who is charged with a serious crime, and then there's an examination 
a, a long running interview involving another character as we get to the bottom of this character and the various problems he has. And that's, that's all I'm going to say about it now. But I will say this, the crowded room is inspired, as it says in its own credits, by a nonfiction book about a very famous, well-known criminal case from back in the 70s and 80s. Uh, this, this case also was the subject of a four-part Netflix documentary uh, just a couple of years ago. Uh, as I mentioned, there's been books. Lots of stuff has been already written about this real-life case. And what they're asking me to do in this particular case is to not get into any of those details. And it's kind of a, it's kind of a tricky road to navigate. And I know, I know how I'm going to do it. I haven't written the review yet. I know how I'm going to do it. I, I figured out a way to write the review to let people know it's based on a true case, but not to give anything away. And by the way, this is a highly fictionalized uh, version uh, it's a, it's, I guess you'd call it um, a docudrama, but it's, it, it, it's way, way, way different than the real life case other than certain basic facts. So there's a way to do it, but it gets a little tricky sometimes because sometimes I'm asked to, to hold back on almost everything. And I, I have to be realistic too. Um, and I've heard this from, from, from readers and, and viewers and listeners too, where I'll write a, a 900 word review and they'll say, you know, you you told us that somebody got kidnapped. And I'm like, well, first of all, it's in the trailer. Second of all, it happened 10 minutes into the movie. And also, if I'm going to review a movie, I have to describe the movie. I have to at least get into the basics of the plot. And I try very, very hard not to give too much away. Sometimes I hear from people saying, I don't even know what the movie's about because you were so cryptic. And I don't want to do that either. But trust me, uh, I want you guys to have the experience of seeing something and uh, getting that thrill of the twist or getting infuriated by the twist, whatever the case may be, of the cool Easter eggs in the superhero movies, of the twists and turns. I'm, I don't want to give any of that away. So uh, spoiler alert, I'm doing my best. I, I will continue to do so. But just a little bit of an inside look at uh, some of the things I have to think about and, and take into consideration when writing reviews. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to hear about the wonders of the legendary Portillo's. And then, as promised, I'm going to talk about some of the best series finales of the 21st century. All right, kids, let's talk about Portillo's. It's one of my favorite places to eat on the planet Earth. My delivery history will bear this out. I also happen to live within walking distance of one of the Chicago Portillo's. Yes, that's right. I'm that lucky. It is amazing. You could order from the restaurant or the drive-thru, but if it's not near you, you can go to Portillo's.com, Portillo's.com and order. They got French fries. They got all kinds of comfort food. The amazing hot dogs, the Italian beef, the Italian sauces, some really good salads, by the way, if you want to take it a little bit easy because you want to have a little bit room left for the chocolate cake, the best chocolate cake in the world. Think about it. Portillo's.com. P-O-R-T-I-L-L-O-S.com. That's how you spell it. Portillo's.com. You know what I just realized, fellas? Yes, we got a long way to go, gentlemen. A long way to go. You know what? I'm looking forward to it. Tonight you go home, you get your studies done, you get your rest, because you're going to be back here tomorrow at 6 a.m. means no later than 5.45. Understood? Yes, sir! 
Clear eyes, full hearts. Yeah, we'll deal with that later. Grab a lap. Have a good night, gentlemen. Good work today. Yeah, have a good night. Good job. That's good. You ready to go home? Yeah, let's go. Just a little sound there from one of my all-time favorite television series, Friday Night Lights, which was a show that really... It was never a huge ratings hit, but had a great demographic and was a show that was a, a, a buzz show that really had people in its grips. It, you know, it was, a you know, speaking of based on a true story, uh, Buzz Bissinger, who uh, wrote the original book, Friday Night Lights, was about, I believe it was Permian High School in uh, Texas. And then that was turned into a Peter Berg movie with Billy Bob Thornton playing the coach, which was inspired again by the book. And then the TV series, which was interesting because Kyle Chandler played the coach. Connie Britton played the coach's wife in both the movie and the TV series. Different name, different character, but the coach's wife, essentially. And a few other minor characters were also in both. But I loved Friday Night Lights, the series. It, I just thought, you know, I, and I played football in high school. But I would tell friends of mine who were not football fans or had never played the game that like a lot of great sports dramas and movies and TV shows, it's about the characters and the football games, honestly, in Friday Night Lights. I love the series so much, but if you go back and look at it, it it's almost uh, comedic. How many of the games went down to a 50-yard pass on the last play, a Hail Mary, or you know something very strange like somebody running a, a pass back for a touchdown when the other team would not be throwing because they'd just be running out the clock or two-point conversion. And so... The games were secondary. It was all the drama that took place during practice and at school and in the home lives of these great characters. And uh, in addition to the primary cast, you know, to mention Kyle Chandler and Connie Britton, Amy Teagarden was the, was the daughter who was really terrific. They had kind of they had some regulars, but then kind of re one of the things I liked, even though as is always the case, almost always the case, almost everybody looked too old for high school. But at least they would rotate them out. You know, at some point, it's like Tim Riggins is 30, man. You know, I was, I was surprised to learn he was a sophomore the first time we saw him. But uh, Taylor Kitsch, uh, Jesse Plemons, uh, Minka Kelly, uh, Michael B. Jordan. I mean, the cast of young actors. And that's just a few of them really went on to do a lot of great stuff. So the finale of Friday Night Lights was called Always, and it was all about uh, whether or not uh, Coach Eric Taylor was going to stay in Texas and coach the now super team uh, of Dillon High School. But Tammy was like, what about my time? I've moved with you so many times over something like 18 years, and she had had a chance to take an administrative job at a college in Philadelphia. And it's a beautiful, it's such a good depiction of a, of a, of a healthy, strong, but realistic marriage. And finally, the coach saying, you know, it's your time will you please take me to Philadelphia? And that, and that's how it ends. And it's just beautifully done. And it wraps up a bunch of other stories beautifully. One of my favorite uh, series finales of all time. Um, Breaking Bad, I thought they did a brilliant job there the last three or four episodes. And then Better Call Saul with the Saul Gone episode, which we just had recently. We've talked a lot, and everybody's talked about The Sopranos and... The uh, the ending. So many people now say that they believe the cable went out because it went to black, you know, quickly. It went to black for like 15 seconds. I, you didn't think your cable went out. You know, you were just stunned by it. I always say to people, it's nearly two decades now uh, past the finale and we're still talking about it. So that tells you something. It got people 
riled up one way or another. I, I was fine with the ambivalence of it all. Uh, to me, to just, you know, if you had Tony get away with everything at that point, it, it, it seemed disingenuous. But if you were going to have a, you know, a mass hit on the family, that would have been awfully brutal and gruesome. And I think a lot of people would have been turned off by that. So we don't know. Some people know, other people don't. Same thing with Mad Men, which I loved throughout, but particularly loved that series finale where Don Draper had gone through this existential crisis and, you know, really considering what the hell has he done with his life other than create campaigns to get people to buy things that they didn't need. And a lot of cases were not good for them, like cigarettes and booze, uh, continually get involved in relationships on the sides of his marriage and, and mistreat colleagues. And of course his whole life was a lie. He was his name wasn't even really Don Draper. And then he comes to this sort of hippie epiphany, except for his epiphany is he's going to use that kind of uh, sunflower star power, flower power, hippie dippy uh, movement to create one of the most memorable Coca-Cola ads of all time. I thought that was brilliantly done. Uh, I like Parks and Recreation where we got a glimpse of what was going to happen to all of the characters 5, 10, 20, 30 years down the, lo- uh, down the line at that was brilliantly done. Uh, Lost is another show that you know a lot of people were like didn't go for the ending and Lost is a show that uh, yeah, I've gone back and watched it and it you know it, first of all the first couple of years it was television at its absolute finest. I always felt that the creators who did such a brilliant job weren't quite sure what they were going to do with it. They they claim, I think, that they did. Uh, It was so uh, multi-layered and so heavy and so deep that I don't know how they could have put together the perfect ending. And for some folks, it kind of tied up everything a little too neatly. Other folks were still like, I don't know what the hell happened, but I still think it was brilliantly done. One of the things I wanted to kind of close things out with here, and I I teased this in the last podcast, guys, is when we talk about these series finales of beloved shows, by the way, you know, if it's a mediocre show, first of all, a lot of mediocre shows don't even get a series finale because they just get canceled. But even shows that did okay, you know, I'm sure some of you know every detail of what happened uh, when um, certain shows that never were huge hits finally wound down, you know, the finale of that 70s show, which of course, now that we have that 90s show, I don't know what the hell happened at the original finale of that 70s show. Uh, I know Roseanne's had about nine different endings of that. Uh, These are not shows that I, you know, particularly fell in love with. Uh, But let's go back to what we're talking about in terms of the shows that we absolutely loved. And, you know, a lot of people hated the series finale of Game of Thrones, and they hated the final season. And I I understand where folks are coming from because, you know, what happened there was the creators of the show, they were waiting for George R.R. Martin to keep writing. And, you know, at some point in the series, they had reached the end of his writings and had him forge ahead on their own with characters they had not originally created, which is not an easy thing to do. I think they did their best. I think in the in the last yeah three to four episodes, they crammed so much, so many developments and so many instances of closure that a lot of people were like, whoa, slow down. And all of a sudden, certain characters behaved in a way that didn't seem completely uh, consistent with who they had been and shown themselves to be sudden switches and allegiances or politics or whatever the case may be. I didn't hate it. It's interesting because a lot of times we get the ambivalent ending like we do with Sopranos and people are like, come on, tell us what happened. And then in Game of Thrones, they say, all right, we're going to close up 
We're going to put a bow on every single uh, character arc on just about every relationship. We're going to let you know what happened to all these characters. And then people didn't like that. You can't please everyone. Uh, but the, the key point here, I hope that you join me in this belief. If you loved a series, you know, Seinfeld's another example where the finale really turned a lot of people off. I don't think that that should in any way really affect your overall love for the series. Just because the last bite of the meal wasn't your favorite doesn't mean you didn't have an incredible buffet over the course of many years. Sure, it might leave a little bit of a sour taste in your mouth, especially when it happens. But when I look back on shows, even ones like Dexter, where I didn't like the finale at all, and I wasn't a huge fan of the attempt to kind of rectify that, it doesn't in any way, shape, or form dampen my appreciation for all the crazy, dark, wicked madness of each season, all of which pretty much had their own arcs and a new killer and a new, you know, uh, anti-villain to Dix Dexter's villain, the serial killer who takes down serial killers. And the fact that the last episode ended up with Dexter as a lumberjack and poor Deb being, you know, dumped at sea. Yeah, it was, it was dumb. It seemed arbitrary and weird. But it doesn't in any way, shape, or form make me think less of Dexter. So I, I always, you know, say to folks, if you, you know, if you didn't love Succession's finale, I did. Or I know a lot of people now are saying, "Oh, Ted Lasso got too, you know, too soft and sugary." And I'm like, go back and watch it from the beginning. It was cynical for about three minutes before it shifted into a more sentimental gear. It's about a celebration of the series and the work as a whole, even if the finale didn't quite hit home with you. All right, that's going to do it for this edition of the Richard Roper Show. Thanks to everybody at AmericanEagle.com who is always here to help me. Renee Nelson, Tim Elanius, my editor and producer, Brian Winger, who handles all of my uh, recording, the editing, the dropping in of those great clips, and so much more. Thanks to everybody here at AmericanEagle.com. And, of course, thanks for listening.